Good morning. It's it's Tony Battalene from Australian Gap and Wine, uh, and welcome to our latest podcast. Today we've got a very special guest in Richie Vandenberg. Uh, a lot of you probably know Richie, or at least of his past as his, um, as an AFL player. But I'm far more interested, Richie, in what you've done as a grape grower and a winemaker. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Great to be here. Yeah, so. I guess, you, um, as I say, people know your footy career, but you're a fourth-generation grape grower. Uh, I guess, so were you always going to come back to the land and get into the grape growing and winemaking business? Or was that just an afterthought when you're looking for something to do after footy? Uh, no, I, I, I think um, I need to sort of go right back to the beginning, really, with, with the old man. We grew up on, on one of three boys, and we grew up on the vineyards out in a place called Kumiala, just out of Mildura. Um, first vineyards were actually over with um, um, a great grandfather in Kerwa, um, and then uh, which is also, but you know, on the New South Wales side between the Murray and the Darling Rivers there. Um, but we we grew up working on the farms from a very young age and uh, played, you know, like most young kids up there, you played a lot of sport, um, worked on the farm, um, went to school, and and then dad. Uh, Dad said to all three of us, he said, you, you can come back on the farm, but you've got to go away and do something else first. Um, I happened to go away and uh, I went off to study environmental engineering, would you believe, at Melbourne Uni, and uh, I never came back. So uh, <laughs> the other two are both back on the farm after going off and doing something else. But, uh, yeah, I never made it back for, for various reasons. Oh, that's, a, that's a great story. I mean, I'm also one of three who comes off the farm, so cattle property and uh, that succession planning stuff's always really interesting. So I guess, uh, were your brothers happy to see you back? Yeah, well, I think what, so what happened when I was playing football, I did, uh, I did set up vineyards, early 2000s, started developing vineyards up there, um, which worked really well while I was playing football um, and had a contract with Wingara at the time, um, supplying Deacon Estate. And I was doing that for quite some time. But during that same period, I developed a passion for collecting uh, wine and started to, to drink a little bit more as I got a bit older and um, wine was always not a bad alternative to, to other alcohols when you're playing footy. So uh, with that passion, um, I thought I wouldn't mind going to the next stage with, um, with rather than just vineyards, look at uh, winemaking. And that's what started really the, the journey. And it took until 2013 and we had a bit of a rough start getting going, but um, we've been going now. This is our 10th vintage. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's uh... Look, I'll tell you what, though, it's going to be another couple, couple of years coming up with us. It's, uh, it's, there's a whole lot of things that are coming for us. So, you know, button down the hatches and get on it. So you must be you must be buying grapes in, I suppose. You're not just producing your own grapes. And Yeah, yeah. So we're set up down at uh, Coonawarra Jacks out of uh, Coonawarra. Um, we have our own vineyards, which are separate to what the family's doing, but um, I've got vineyards down in Ratton Bully and over in Mount Benson. So we buy fruit from... Um, through all through the southeast, uh, the limestone coast, um, and we buy a little bit out of Riverland, a bit out of Mildura, a bit out of Langhorne Creek, um, and when the market is right, we'll, we'll typically get a little bit out of um, Barossa Valley as well. We've Should even, be plenty we've of grapes around this year. Yeah, no, there is. I mean, we, look, um, Tony, we we had a very simple strategy, which probably a lot of people have had over the years, which was starting off with contract processing, then moving into bulk wine. And ultimately we always wanted to build a brand with purpose, which we're sort of getting there now as well. Um, but across the journey, we'd build up quite a big market into, into China. 
So to you know, put six years and God knows how many trips into China, I couldn't even count anymore. Um, how many times we went and out, went in and out. To lose that overnight has has been really really tough. Um, you know, the winery we felt the pain for the last twelve months, and unfortunately now as growers, we're feeling we're feeling the pain now at the fruit end as well. But um, yeah, I think you're right. We're we're all dealing with a lot of um, a lot of issues, um, both you know within the wine industry, but also externally that we really have little control over. Um, but the good thing about probably the community that's listening to this um, podcast is is grape growers and farmers in general is they've they've got a high degree of resilience, and and that is the one thing that I think gets us all through. Um, naturally, it's it's tough, but uh, there's no other option but to keep going. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right, and I can't give you any comfort. We've just appointed, a, got a panel appointed for the World Trade Organization action against China. Yeah. Um, look, we'll win the case, but it's not going to solve the problem. Yeah. So I think anyone who's expecting to go back in the next couple of years is dreaming. Uh, and while you know it's really easy to talk about diversification, it's really hard to do, and there's a lot of pain. I guess the only thing is that everyone's feeling it. There's no one who's not feeling pain at the moment, and we're going to have it for a couple of years. And growers, unfortunately, are the ones who are going to cop it the most. Yeah, I think, look, it feels to me like another period, 2006 to 2008, you know, when the when the, we were led into the, um, the last global financial crisis and Australian wine in America started to, to, to drop away a little bit and then, you know, it all, all you know, went pear-shaped. Feels very similar to that in many respects. So I think we're going to see a reorganisation of the whole industry um, and, and those that, that are super keen will will find ways to um, to consolidate and find a way through, and 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 it'll be an opportune time. You know, like my, my father's in his early seventies and still loves it. Like we can't get him off the farm, but you know, going through these sorts of periods, and he's one of many in this industry. Um, you know, they'll probably look at it and go, "Well, I've I've been through enough hard times. Maybe maybe this is a time to hand the reins over to to the next generation." So I think there'll be a bit of that going on as well. Yeah, I reckon you're right. I reckon it's going to be. I don't think it's going to happen this year because I think people are still hopeful that uh, it's a, a blip, but I think that we'll see that it's another cycle and that, you know, next year we'll see that restructure starting to come through. So, yeah, people with good brands and let's move on to that. So you've got a pretty good brand there in Hidden Sea. So can you tell us a bit of the story around it? Yeah, it goes, I mean, the provenance of it goes right back to the Limestone Coast, which is, uh, you know, what was once covered by the Great Southern Ocean with Coonawarra. Uh, it's 100 k's inland from the current um, current coastline, and of course that's a play on words, the hidden sea. So that's that's really the tie back to to the brand name. Uh, as you as you'd know, there's what there's vineyards down there. Most famously, uh, the Whalebone Vineyard, um, which has a you know still to this day fossilised whales, some 26 million years old, in caves below vineyards. Once again, 100 k's from the current coastline. So straight away, it sparks interest. But the, the relevance of that for us is that's the whale on the bottle um, and, and the hidden sea. So how, how it all came about for us, I mean, I touched on a little bit earlier. When I went to Melbourne Uni, I, I was studying environmental engineering. So I always had that little bit of a bent coming off the land. Um, but then when we, Justin and I, got together and decided to, um, to get this business going in 2013, our ultimate goal was to... to um, build a brand with purpose um, and we wanted to find a way to get through what we call the wine of wall at uh, the wall of wine when you walk into a into a retailer how, how how can we as a new entrant to the industry 
how can we get into this industry and and do something a little different? You know, tailors and these these families that have been around for years and years. You know, it's very hard for us to bring a, a family brand in and compete with those guys. So. We wanted to build a brand with purpose. Um, our ties back to the ocean and the environment started to evolve and it's continued to evolve. We learn more and more about all the issues that are existing and I think it's becoming more mainstream now. Uh, but we, um, we really were, went after trying to find a way to solve this plastic problem. It's a massive issue. It's in our food chains. We're all consuming plastic. And uh, having been a, an elite athlete as well and, and doing a fair bit of work with diet, et cetera, over the years, um, that probably was the real trigger for me is once we sort of found out that this is going to affect us all if we don't do something about it um we found a, a tangible way to make a difference and that's what we're doing yeah look i think it's brilliant i'm a marine biologist by training so and it sort of just landed in the grape and wine sector by accident um so i've, I've got a similar passion and also I, I suspect like you i spend a lot of time uh near the beach and in a kayak and those sort of things um, and things like microplastics and, and all that microfiber stuff is causing such damage that a lot of people don't see or realise. Uh, I guess you're also, you know, you'd, you'd be uh, similar in the sea a lot and whenever you can. Kuna yeah. is just round, down the, round the yeah. corner from it. Yeah, no, funnily enough, I just got back from, uh, just got back from Queensland kayaking, so there you go. Um, but no, kayak, having grown up on the river, we were all about the river, but... Um, no, no, became uh, very passionate about uh, ocean kayaking. We've been training for a big event. We're trying to do a, a race from the island of Molokai to the island of Oahu over in uh, Hawaii. And uh, we'd been training for about three years in the lead up. Oh, it was not quite three, two and a bit years in the lead up to 2020. So it keeps getting cancelled. It's been cancelled again. So I've got to wait another year now. But uh, we've got a great group of guys and, yeah, we love it. We're out, you know, three, four times a week. I'll get out in the George Bass Marathon down from uh, Batemans Bay down to Eden. It's a it's a cracking and it's it's pretty hard. So uh, you know, and it, yeah, it has been cancelled. I mean, it's a good one. Yeah, I recommend no, that. We, get in we love that. Miles. Um, I guess it's great to see that you know you're passionate about the environment. Uh, are you bringing that in every aspect of the business? I mean, I know you're you've got this the, the ten million bottle what milestone. Um, which is great, and maybe you can tell us a bit about that and what it signifies. But are you, you're bringing the environment into all aspects of the business. Yeah, well, one of the big things, um, Tony, that, that I'm really big on that I learned through football is, is focus. So you've got to be absolutely focused on conveying a single message. And the single message we're conveying is on the side of our bottle now, which is for every bottle of wine we sell, we pull 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean and recycle it. Now, Sitting in behind that, though, when people look at that, they need to know that there's authenticity, they need to know there's credibility, they need to know there's an audit trail, all those sorts of things. So we've got all of that in place through our partners with the VC project. That's absolutely critical to uh, the consumer um, having believability and, and this term of greenwashing, people not feeling like you're just greenwashing. But it needs to be more than that. People expect more of, of brands than just that. If you're going to call yourself out, as we talk about, you've got to hold yourself without recourse. And so, you know, we're doing things like, um, well, Kunawara Jacks is, is, is solar. And you know, I think you understand how water works in wineries and it's just about all fully recycled these days, what we do with our grape mark, et cetera. But we're doing some really exciting projects at the moment where we're working on, um, we're working to become carbon neutral, which I think is another thing that um, people um, are very cognizant about these days. Um, but we're working on some, some geospatial technology to work out, you know, what sort of impacts we can have with our soils and carbon sequestration in vineyards. A lot of work's been done in that space. I'm doing a project on that at the moment. 
And we're also looking at how we can take this plastic that we're collecting out of the ocean and convert that back into vineyard posts. Um, as we know, plastic vineyard posts up in, uh, up in Mildura can, uh, can typically suffer from turning into licorice when it's 40 degrees and they're carrying 50 tonne to the hectare. But down, down where we are, it's much cooler and the crop loads are a lot lower. So, you know, we're working with it. Just started with a mob over in, uh, in Adelaide looking at how we, can, how we can do that. So we're trying to create, you know, that circular economy, which I think is really important, not just for the wine industry, but for, for everybody. Yeah, and I'm a firm believer that it's um, it's time people stopped asking the government to cure our problems and we get on with it and did it ourselves. And, and we're about to set far more aggressive targets for carbon neutrality in the sector, and I think we can do it. Yeah. Uh, and the sort of initiatives you're doing uh, sound like a great, great way to feed into that. Uh, also, obviously, posts are a really big problem. I mean, there's there's mountains of CCA posts, treated posts sitting out there. It's, it's right. an environmental disaster waiting to happen. Uh, if we can do something with plastics, let's do it. Yeah, correct, correct. And I'm sure we can. It's, it's just the technology and it's even with the plastic we collect, you know, a lot of it's been sitting in the ocean for so long, it's that degraded, it's hard to reuse. Um, so we'll, we'll work through how we can do that. But even if you look at it from a worst case scenario and it goes back into energy generation, well, we're still burning fossil fuels, right? So if we've all of a sudden now got a fuel resource, which is plastic, which was otherwise not going to be reused, that turns into energy generation, that's a net net positive. You know, there's better ways we can recycle, of course, but the technology is not quite there yet. But I'm sure the more uh, the world becomes aware of what's going on, that uh, all of these technologies will improve. First step one is let's get the plastic out or let's stop it going in in the first place. And step two, let's get it out and then work out what we're going to do with it. Absolutely. Look, it's a big job. We've got to start somewhere. And the thing is, don't expect perfection straight away. And I think that's what have got to tell a lot of people is, you know, we're not going to have it a purely circular economy yet we it's going to take time but we all need to work to it um i guess getting the message out to consumers you're seeing all your the consumers are are really getting behind your brands and they're, they're really starting to understand that there's real integrity underpinning it yeah so you know if you look at the wine industry and typically who the target market has been it's probably typically you know people my age and a little older sort of you know mid 40s plus male and female um and we've really gone after that younger demographic who, who really seem to have their finger on the pulse a little bit more when it comes to environmental and, and social responsibility. But there is a social responsibility element to our brand as well. Um, but, um, yeah, so we're going after that, that, that younger consumer and um, we're finding that it, the message really resonates with them. Um, what we, the, some of the challenges we do have though is the gatekeepers. A lot of the gatekeepers are, are probably more middle-aged and older and aren't really as, as au fait in this space. Having said that, we've had enormous um, support through the UK, the UK and, and the Nordic markets especially. Nordic markets are really ahead of the game in this space. And even the UK, big UK retailers as the Sainsbury Coop, uh, they've all jumped on board booths um, within the first 18 months. So, uh, the, you know, the units per store per week figures are, are going really well for us. So that would tell us that the you know, consumer's resonating and we've got great engagement through our socials, et cetera. I, I think you're right. It's about the gatekeepers. So those, those customers now are starting to recognise it. We were actually there pretty much just before the GFC and then the GFC knocked everything back for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, there was a real move there to get everything sustainable but that that economic crisis really hurt i think the, the whole movement but um i'm certainly seeing it too uh, and i think the more that 
you'll see that if you haven't got that sort of underpinnings of your brand, you won't, won't get a spot in the marketplace. And those Nordics, yeah, they're leading the charge. It's really good to see. Yeah, they do it right across the board. I think, you know, only something like the Western world is only like 9% of all plastic ends up getting recycled, even though we think it's all getting recycled, whereas over there it's 93%. You know, just completely different processes and, and willingness to, to do what, what it takes to get it done. And they're willing to pay. I mean, we need true product stewardship here where everyone shares the cost and we have to buy, you know, we have to make that investment. So I guess, uh, look, you've hit the environmental target. You're talking a bit about your social responsibility. So what, what what's your brand going to do next? You what, What's your next step? Um, well, the next step, funnily enough, it, it's all been a little bit in reverse because of the, the business that we've built over the, the last 10 years. We're really pushing um, really pushing a lot of the export markets. What <laughs> what comes next for us is, is really trying to get um, national distribution here in Australia. That's um, that's what we're working on. In terms of in terms of the brand, what we're trying to do um, with the brand to take the brand to the next step is we feel there's enough um environmental and social credentials there we need to find just more and more ways for a small brand to be able to amplify its message um, and so we use a combination of ambassadors and various other strategies to do that and for us now it's we had a proof of concept period which started back in july 1 2020 uh, in the uk market we feel like we've got that so now it's taking that to the next step which is okay what's after proof of concept how do you now take this into mainstream well, uh, Woolies actually listened to this podcast, so uh, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> if, if you get a call, I'll uh, you know let me know. But uh, we've got yeah, a little so trial we... going with BWS up on the on the northern beaches of New South Wales. But um, yeah, hopefully we can start to you know really start to push the credentials of the brand and um, and get you know an Endeavour Group or, or a Coles or someone like that on board. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just Endeavour. People like Qantas are starting to get behind the whole um, the whole series. So they just announced that they're signing up. Uh, green their green tier process so they're only yep. going to stock you know environmental wine so if you want to get in it not that they pay that well which you'll have to tell you but uh, <laughs> but they're not a bad market so yeah. but they'll certainly have a look at you yeah uh, yeah no no um no and it's really important i think you know that, that's a big part of what we and you touched a little bit on it on it before is we think that this is a, an and strategy not an or so People like to think that it's government's responsibility or it's someone else's responsibility. What we're trying to say is that we believe you can build a commercial brand and you can do good for the environment and, and do you know various other social uh, enterprises that come with it. So that's really our strategy. We, we call it the and strategy instead of an or. And, and as you said before, we're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect from the start. This evolves. Um, it, it all just evolves over time. And, and our people, we've noticed our staff have, have just really... Um, really got on board in terms of um, how engaged they've become in the problem and, and you know, the, the banter that goes back and forth now and people doing their own research and people are really getting uh, their heads around it, which is fantastic to see. And I'm sure that, you know, that will be indicative of, um, you know, um, society in general as we move forward. Oh, I think society is demanding it. I guess one final question. Um, your growers, so how are they... Uh, you know, obviously, you're getting sustainability targets for them, or you're you're putting them to to grow their sustainable. Do they are they buying into this and seeing that it's uh, it's part of the story they need to? Well, it... yes, we ha yes we have, and we are. So we've been viewed very much at the wholesale level for a long time with the limestone coast mines um, wholesale business, bulk wine business, um, and a lot of our growers came have come on the journey with us through that. And they're like us have been, you know, we've just been 
working through the pain of what uh, China's delivered us. So we haven't had a great deal of um, opportunity to really engage them in, in what we're doing. However, we do, the, the, just about all of them now would be, certainly the ones that have been with us for a long time, are really aware of what we're doing and, and, and are getting on board. And, and we're going to, you know, for example, if we can try and come up with this post that's going to work, you know, we'd be certainly encouraging them to, to use those posts in the vineyard and all kinds of things like that. So I, I'm sure we're going to get the support because they know how important it is um, for, for brands to be built in this space um, for, for sustainability of fruit supply. Yeah, it's critical. It's a harder thing to, to go back and get everyone to buy on. I'm like you. I think they will. They'll come on. I think they have to come on. And I think, you know, it's a bit hard to think of anything but survival at the moment, I think, for a lot of independent growers. So, uh, But I think if they don't, then survival is going to be a lot harder over the next few years. Yeah, I think as, a, as an industry... Uh, and as a country, you know, we're not you know, we're not competing against. We are competing against one another in some respects, but we're not in many others because this is a global industry now. You know, we're we're up against all the players from all of the other countries. We're, we're all dealing with a lot of shipping issues at the moment, but let's put those aside for, for for a second. And the reality is, is that we're up against Chile and South Africa and all these guys every year, Spain and. And France and Italy who've got wines for a fraction of the price that we that we make them for. So um, we just need to find ways to continue as a country to differentiate ourselves out there on the on the global marketplace. Yeah, and I think this is a real opportunity. I think we we can show genuine credentials in this area that probably better than most other other countries can. And you know, we've seen what New Zealand have done with their pure pure New Zealand and all the rest of it. It's been great, but I think we can probably do it better. So I, I'm enthusiastic. I'm excited about the prospect and it's good to see Pathfinder brands like yours that are leading the way. No, thank you, Tony. Yeah, we too, we're really optimistic about, about the industry. I understand all the challenges and, and the, the cycle that we're in. You know, another another thing we're up against now, as you know, is is the wet. Um, the last time we went through this, we had a, we had the, the wet rebate, which was helping prop a lot of businesses up, and now all that money's gone out of the industry as well. So uh, that's um, that's another challenge we're all facing. But as I touched on before, I think the resilience of uh, of Australians in general, and certainly farmers and people in this industry, will, will see us through. Yeah, it's great industry. Hey, Richard, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed the chat. Um, I think a lot of people are very excited about the story that you've got just for your brands. But I think you're, you're a real pathfinder and uh, I hope we chat again soon. Good, good on you, Tony. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Cheers. Nikki, what?